particular, we are going to look at one in the greatness of the power of God. And so we want to do that together this morning. So hopefully, I know that I haven't given you a ton of time, but hopefully you found Ephesians. If you would stand with me as we uh, read God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 15 and go through the end of the chapter. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to work in the kingdom, to be a part of the seed planting, to be part of the harvest. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you this morning and to sing praises to your name, to have the opportunity to be a part of something larger than ourselves, to have the opportunity to hear from your word and to know the great blessings that we have as children, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father, I pray speak to our hearts. Help us to hear. Help us not just to listen. Help us to apply things to our lives. Help us to want things that you want so that we may be more like you. So we may experience the life of abundance that you have for us. Like we talked about at the beginning, Paul starts off this passage, off this chapter, talking to the Ephesians about their faith and about how they came to know Christ Jesus, how they came to become part of the family of God. And he, but he transitions here in verse 15 to talking about how he is praying for them and how he is thankful for them. And he gives them two reasons why he is thankful and why he is praying for them. The first reason that he gives is their faith in Jesus. He says there in 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. But he, he says there earlier in 15, for this reason I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So he gives two reasons. Their faith in Jesus and their love for all of the saints. 
he do this? Why does he choose these two things to say, this is why I'm praying for you. This is why I am thankful for you. Well, it connects back to what he has just been talking about in that they have been chosen and they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the inheritance that they have been given. If you step back with me just a little bit into chapter 1, he says there, in starting in 13, he says, in him, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when he talks about that he is thankful for them, that they have faith in Jesus, and that he has heard of their love for all the saints, he is connecting that back to the Holy Spirit, who is the seal, who is the, the stamp of approval upon us as sons and daughters of God. We saw this earlier when we looked at the letter of 1 John and we talked about what are the signs of a healthy believer. How do we know that we are truly His? How do we know that we're living in the light of what the salvation that we have been given? And John tells us two things. He tells us first that it's obedience. That if we are, uh, we are disobedient, if we are not following the word of God, if we are not living in such a way to strive to be obedient, not that we are always perfect, but we are striving that direction, if that is not part of who we are, then we must question whether we are truly sons and daughters of God. We must question whether we are truly believers at that point. And the same would be true of us as a church, as a whole body. Do we as a church put our faith in Christ, and that's not just saying, I believe, it means acting upon that belief. Do we do that as a church? If not, there is a problem. The same can be true of the, the phrase, the love that he, that he praises them for, that they love all of the saints. We go back to the letter of 1 John again, and we were looking at ourselves and looking at what it means to be a healthy believer. John says there, if you say that you love God, but you don't love a brother, you're a liar. And the truth isn't in you. If we truly love Christ, if we are truly believers, truly sons of daughters, then we are going to have the mark of loving all of the saints, loving brothers and sisters in Christ, and loving others. And so Paul is saying here, I am thankful for you, I am excited for you, because the description of you as a church is one of a true church, a true believer in that you have faith in Jesus Christ and you love the saints. So church, what a description for us to long for. What a description for us to long that people would look at us at FBC Vandalia and they would say there is something different about that church. They have great faith that they act upon great love for each other, great unity for, with each other. My prayer, and I hope it's your prayer as well, that this would be part of the description when people think about our church, whether it's in this community or in this state, that when they hear FBC Vandalia, that they, like Paul, would give thankfulness to the Lord God for a church that is faithful, for a church that loves says here 
that he is praying for them. But what is he praying for? He is praying that they may be enlightened. He goes on there in verse 17. He says he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now this isn't on one of our slides this morning, but I want to I stop here and pause just for a moment. This too is a connection point back to what he was talking about in the first few verses of Ephesians that you were chosen, that it was a plan that was accomplished in your life. Have you ever been, maybe you're like me, and you've been in a place before where you feel like you're not going anywhere in your relationship with Christ. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like your quiet time is kind of dry. You feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. And it just feels like you're treading water. My question to you would be, and my question for myself in those times is, am I praying that the Lord would enlighten my heart? Because the act of sanctification, the act of, of the process of becoming more like Christ, the process of having a deeper relationship, while we have a responsibility to pursue it, ultimately it is the Lord God who opens our eyes to deeper things, who allows our heart to understand the deep things, the, the meat of Scripture. It is not, some, it is not just merely an academic uh, accomplishment for us to know the Lord. I think that's one thing that I, I, I've seen explode in probably the last ten years, is that there is an academic pursuit of Scripture that is devoid of the Spirit. We read all kinds of books. We read all kind. We listen to all kinds of podcasts. We listen to all kinds of sermons and descriptions. But our pursuit of the Lord is merely academic. It's so that we might somehow reach or attain something on our own. But the deepening of our relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, Paul makes it clear here, is through Him enlightening our hearts and opening the eyes of our hearts. Are we asking him for that? Do you find yourself pleading with the Father? Lord, open my eyes. I want to go deeper with you. I want to know you more. I want to know you in a way that I've never known you before. I want to walk on water. I want to see the Red Sea part. I want to be used by you for incredible things. Do we pray that as a church? Do we desire for our church to be used by Him in incredible ways in our community so that boys and girls and men and women may come to know Him as their Lord and Savior, to have this inheritance that we spoke of last week? If we desire that, then we must ask Him to do a work in us. He's going to do it in us. Paul goes on here, though, and this gets us to our next slide. Paul goes on here, though, to tell us and to explain to us what exactly it is that he's praying for. Why is he asking that our hearts should be enlightened? What are we supposed to be understanding? He says there in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to 
gives us peace. He gives us three things here. We're calling them blessings in Christ this morning. They are blessings that we get to experience as part of the family of God or the body of God, as Paul uses that analogy in this, uh, in this passage. First, we have the hope. And we talked a little bit about this hope in the inheritance last week, that Christ has set before us all of heaven and all of eternity and that if you are a son and daughter if you are one that has put your faith and trust in jesus christ that this is not your home but rather you look ahead with great anticipation with great excitement about heaven about being with the lord jesus christ i was sharing this uh story yesterday uh as our our services for cmh off i was talking about this week at CBS, I had this young man who came up and he asked a great question. He asked the question, why don't we see God? Why don't we see God? And man, I was like, that, that is a worthy question of CBS. And so we sat down and we looked at the passage in Exodus where Moses, if anybody had earned the right to see Moses or see God, it was Moses. Moses was legit. And Moses says, I want to see you in all of your glory. And paraphrasing a bit, God says, you can't handle it. If anyone sees me in all of my glory, they will die. And I had that young man read that, and he read it, and his eyes got real big, and he's like, that's why we can't see God. It's like, yeah, you better believe it, brother. It is God's way of protecting us that we can't see him now we are sinful people who have a corrupt body and if we were to see god in all of his holiness our brains would explode and yet we talked about that as we walked through scripture seeing different experiences isaiah and thomas and john as they saw god in many times visions and their their exclamations of doom upon themselves as they saw him in that manner. And I said, but here's the awesome thing. When we have a hope, we have an expectation that someday these bodies will pass away. These bodies will be no more, and they will give birth to spiritual bodies that are perfect, spiritual bodies that have no sin, spiritual bodies that have no disease, and we will be able to stand in the presence of the Most High God and absorb it all. Amen. That is what our hope is. Do you desire that? Do you long for that, to know Him, to be in His presence, to know creation the way it was meant to be? said earlier that's big stuff and Paul says it is my prayer for you that you get that because if you get that hope if you get the inheritance that we have then it changes how you're going to live now because you realize this is a temporary state he says secondly that I pray I pray that you would understand what are the riches of his glorious understand your value in Christ. I, I pray that you understand your value in Christ. We live in a society, we live in a place and a time where everything is about you do you. 
We live in a place where self-esteem is king. We can't discipline our child this way because it might hurt their self-esteem. Maybe that's my phone. We can't do our job this way because it might hurt somebody's self-esteem. We can't proclaim the gospel because it might encroach on who they are. They're sinners. I'm glad it's encroaching upon them. It needed to encroach upon me. But Paul says we should not be finding our identity, and he he goes on in great detail about this later, but we should not find our identity in the world and what the world says, but rather we as believers should be finding our identity in Christ. Brother and sister, do you know the great value that he has placed upon you? out of there. 
Epaphras comes out after being dead for three days. We see it even in Paul's life. Paul gets the preaching too long, no comment, and a young man falls asleep and falls out of a window, and everybody thinks he's dead. Paul's like, ah, don't worry about it. Walks down, brings him back to life, goes back to preaching. By the way, I, that is a fucking put people to sleep yeah no like you know let's raise him from the dead go back to work okay all right but we see it happen throughout scripture people coming back to life but here's the thing two differences one every time there is a third party bringing someone back to life it's either the prophet brings back a young man to life it's jesus bringing someone back to life it's paul bringing someone back to life In the resurrection, there is no one else. It is God alone doing the work of bringing Jesus Christ to life. And second, and and maybe even more magnificent, in all of those other cases, that person was brought back to life because they were going to experience death. Lazarus died. A young man died in the same way. A young lady died. faces death again. He stands in eternity at the right hand of God ruling over all of authority. And he did it
give us demeanor that we're better than others. Certainly we see in our Lord Jesus Christ a life of humility, and we should follow in that path. But we should stand before a world who would threaten us. We should stand before a world that would like to bully us into silence and say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Do what you want. I know who has the power. Do what you want. I know who has final say and final authority. And I belong to the king.